Yo, yo, what up everyone? This is your life coach, Jacob Sokol, and welcome to WTF Should I Do With My Life? You're about to access a roadmap specifically designed for people in our generation, like you and me, who are looking to figure out how to create a life filled with happiness, success, and a deep sense of purpose, while simultaneously dealing with the challenges of today. This interview is with Nicole Daydone. Nicole is a speaker, teacher, and author who has spent her career redefining orgasm from a woman's point of view. Starting with her fundamental belief that a woman's sex is her power, she treats taboo subjects with unparalleled humor, intelligence, and insight. Sex. I love it. I bet you do too. But it's not always so simple. We live in a culture that screams sexuality. Everywhere we look, there's something sexual. But our culture also attaches secrecy and shame to sexuality. It says sex is dirty. Our culture is filled with seemingly puzzling paradoxes and gender inequalities. When it comes to having sex, men are heroes and women are whores. Yikes. In this chat, we're going to learn about how women can claim their rights to sexual freedom and health while living in a culture of sexual shame and double standards. We're also going to talk about what female orgasms do for women and what they do for men. We're going to touch on how women can deal with the pressure to fulfill society's unattainable definitions of beauty and how guys can help. We'll also talk about what role men play in women's lives and how we can deal with the identity crisis of the Western man. One last thing we'll make sure to touch on, a 15-minute technique for men to help women orgasm. Let's get started. Hey, Nicole. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi. Great to be here. Awesome. Cool. Well, I'd love to start by giving listeners a bit of uh, background information, kind of who you are and where you came from. So can you start by telling us a bit about your story, including some of the challenges you faced as a young adult and how they led you to be where you are today? Well, um, I think, uh, you know, I think it's kind of the same for everyone in a sense. Like, I definitely had a sense inside of me that something more was possible. I was at San Francisco State. I I was teaching gender communications, but I was also speaking out Zen Buddhism. And I thought I was going to become a Zen nun. And, I, you know, I just had this feeling like there's something more, there's something more, there's something more. And everything on the menu didn't seem to touch it. And so Zen touched it a bit, and then and then I discovered this practice. Mm, gotcha. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, I'd love to uh, I'd love to hear about what that was like. I mean, you were so you were working in this job, and you were doing something, and it was unfulfilling. And and how did you know that you had to move on? How did you know that there was something else out there? It's funny, I think we all have those signals and, you know, for some reason I was fortunate in that I was able to listen to them, you know, it's like there's just that feeling like, really, is this it, this can't be it, there has to be more, I think that was basically <laughs> the voice that was in my head, like, because I was really, I mean, I was doing great, I was on a roll, I was, everything was exactly as it was supposed to be. And still it was like, if everything is exactly as it's supposed to be and this is how I feel, then something's wrong. And I thought initially that something was wrong with me. And then rather than just staying there with something's wrong with me, I started seeking out other other solutions, you know. And, and I guess that's why you get, the, you get called a seeker. I guess I was a seeker. Yeah, awesome, cool. Well, I'd l- like to transition a bit and speak about some of the subject matter that you refer to in some gender and sexuality topics. So I've heard that one of the 
top reasons why women see sex therapists is because of their inability to orgasm. And on the other hand, I heard that one of the top reasons why men see sex therapists is because they orgasm too quickly. Um, it could seem that men are getting too much pleasure from sex and perhaps women not enough pleasure. And in your TEDx talk, you speak about the pleasure deficit disorder and claim it's not a medical issue but rather a cultural issue. So what do you think the reasons for that are and what role does pop culture play taking into account the messages it sends us about sexuality? Well, that's a great question. Wow. Um, I think, well, I, I think what we call orgasm is so incredibly limited that it doesn't actually touch into what a woman's body naturally does. I think what's available is so much deeper than anything we can imagine. It's almost like, you know, there there was there were like aerobics, right? You know, and everyone would wear like their sweatpants and they would jump around to music. And like if that was all that exercise was, you know, if, if there weren't actually something like yoga, it would be really disappointing. And so I think um, what we call orgasm is, is not what's available, and it's actually not suited to a woman's body. And when you actually begin to um, touch a woman's body the way it needs to be touched, the places that you can go are unimaginable. I mean, what happened, I thought I had like a 10 in my sex life. I, I mean, I thought, it was, I thought my sex life was amazing before I, you know, I started a deeper practice. And then all of a sudden it was like that 10 was nothing on the scale. So I think, um, you know, and, and I think guys get a really bad rap because they're expected to like hold out and hold out and hold out. And it's not a matter of holding out. It's a matter of doing the entire experience differently. So what would that be? Well, like one is how can women start to understand this and, and almost embody that? Okay, maybe I do have, or maybe I am faced with a culture that has a pleasure deficit disorder uh, for women, and then what are some of the things they can do to move beyond that, and uh, and how can guys support them in that? What a great question. Um, well, I I think um, for each woman, it's going to be personal. It's going to be this moment of deciding. It's funny. It's like I I know for me, it was just this you know um, tipping point where all of a sudden it was like, okay, I have tried everything I could in terms of being a good person. And being a good person meant that I would sacrifice and I would compromise. And finally, I just said my pleasure is worth it. And it was, a, it was like this enlightenment moment. It, you know, um, Mary Oliver has this poem, you don't have to prostrate yourself, you don't have to crawl through the desert, you just have to let the small animal of your body love what it loves. And it was a moment when I realized, like, oh, if I just nourish my body, things might be different. And I allowed that to happen. So much of what sex is for women is trying to look a certain way, like, you know, Cosmo or something. We're supposed to wear, like, tiger pajamas or lingerie and, you know, red. And we're supposed to move our head in certain ways. And so it's all about acting. It's not about feeling. And I think it's a moment where a woman decides it's okay to feel. And then what happens from there is, it's, you know, it's amazing. You know, you get to discover that really what a man wants is to feel a woman. It's not just to see the whole show. It's actually to feel her. But it's, it's a threshold like anything else. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting because I think we live in this culture that screams sexuality. Like everywhere we look, there's something sexual. And from a young totally. age, we learn that, that sex is super important. 
but we also live in this culture that attaches secrecy and shame to sex, right? Like sex is dirty. And on top of that, there's this gender inequality that there's this huge pressure on guys to be sexual. And for girls, there's this huge pressure on them not to be sexual, but to be beautiful. You got it. And, you know, Brilliant. And, 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 when it, and when it comes to having sex, it's like our culture says men are heroes and women are whores. Um, so yeah, my question you. is, yeah, exactly. So my question is, how can women claim their rights to sexual freedom and health while living in this culture of sexual shame and double standards? Well, I, I think it's happening is, is the good news. There's, you know, um, there's a new book out called The Richer Sex, and it's all about how uh, women are no longer reliant, in a sense, on men for financial security. We have 51% of all management positions at this point, and I think that had a lot to do with it. If you're reliant on somebody for your physical security, then mm-hmm. you, um, you, you shape and mold yourself in, in that. And all of a sudden, as women are becoming uh, more and more financially secure, what we're discovering is, oh, my God, women want sex. I think this is, this is like one of the biggest fallacies. It's like, yeah, we're, we're all, I think women are out there pretending like, I don't want it, I don't want it, in order to be a good person. But the truth of the matter is that we do. And then when you, know, when you ask, like, what a man can do, it's really just it, like understand that we want sex as much as you do, probably even more, because we haven't been allowing ourselves to have it, right? And then yeah. to um, you know, and then and then to learn how to um, be with us in that place. Yeah, I want to go a little deeper into that, and you you touched on so many things that I'd love to explore, but we'll start here and and. I, th- I think speaking about how, you know, 51% of the workforce in America is occupied by women, there's a crisis occurring for the Western man because we used to you get got that it. sense of identity and our self-worth from being able to provide for our family, right? Even if we hated our job, even if our job sucked and we're like this blows, at the end of the day, it was still, we were successful because we provided for our family. But right. due to the social, the social and the economic realities that we live in, it's not the case anymore. Women can do it all by themselves. And in turn, the Western man is like, you know, we're having an identity crisis. It's like, what the fuck? Who am I? What do I got to do to be a real man around here? So, so, I love you. <laughs> so what does a man do? Yeah, exactly. So, so what role do and can men serve in a woman's life? And, and how, how can we deal? How can men deal with the identity crisis that we're going through? Well, I have really good news for you, and um, I'm, I'm, it's rare news, but it's good news. And I, you know, I've been I've been doing this for a long time, and I've been watching a huge shift occur, especially for men. And um, you know, the, the so I'll start with the disturbing news. The disturbing news is that when when we talk about this practice, um, the number one question I get from women is, "Isn't there any way I can do this without a man?" The good news is that. There's, or without a partner, really. The good news is no. There's no way you can actually immerse deeply into your sexuality without a partner because you can't bring yourself out of control. So that's the first piece of information to know. The second is I think that we're going through an evolution in terms of gender. And I think, that, you know, so the base, if you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like the base level is just security. And then you evolve into, you know, love and connection. I think the security level of men and women relating 
so that a woman can get security is evolving so that a man goes from um, providing money to producing experience. Hmm. And so I think men are getting the opportunity to go through a whole new uh, initiation rites. And I think it's clunky and I think it's difficult and confusing and it breaks my heart. I would not want to be a man right now. I would not. It, it's, it looks incredibly difficult. And by the same token, I think the possibility of what's available for a man is great. I think, you know, as women liberate uh, both, you know, financially and sexually, the, the game is going to change drastically from both of us kind of clinging to each other like prize fighters that are exhausted, you know, and we're just kind of like holding on so we don't have to fight anymore, to actually playing together because we're going to be equals. Yeah, it's uh, it's challenging, and and without really a roadmap or a role model to look up to of what a man should be. Speaking for myself, I'm like, what the hell? What do I got to do around here? Like, what is success? What is what am I? And so much of it is is unconscious, you know. And fortunately, I'm at the point now where I can realize a little bit more about masculinity and manhood and validating that and all the challenges and disturbing parts that come along with that. But it's just frustrating and, and kind of, it feels just like a big identity crisis. I think so. But I have, you know, I have hope. And, you know, I think um, in a way right now being a man is a lot like exports. You know, it's like you are in a totally vast new terrain that it has no rules. The beauty for those people who like, for those men who like really like a challenge is that there are no rules. You get to create it in a new way. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think what, what can happen is it, we're at a time where there's exponential change available between men and women. And I think that some men will just show up and be real. Because ultimately, they're like, it's like, yeah, we can rely on our gender in terms of how to relate, or we can strip the gender, and all of a sudden you are a human being and I am a human being and we are here, you know, to, to know each other, to know each other at a really deep level. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. That's incredible, and and perhaps not the easiest thing without a ton of consciousness and committing to the the practice. One of the things I've heard you say, speaking about relationships, is that you recommend to kind of ground relationships in both desire and freedom. And I can remember hearing that, and I'm like, Nicole, what the fuck with freedom? How, why would you go into a relationship for freedom? It just seems so paradoxical. Can you can you give me some more info on what you mean by that? <laughs> uh, well, I, I think it's uh, personally, I think it's a, a more evolved version than than entering a relationship for security. And I think that if if say you know I'll just use us as an example. Say we you and me are in relationship, and both oh, of baby. us decide <laughs> to, to get behind the other person being free free of all of the programming that we have from growing up, just free, you know, like, then what ends up happening, I think it's a much longer game than, than coming together for security, because what ends up happening is we all come back to the place where we experience freedom. And so then we're, we're with each other by choice rather than obligation or need. And to my mind, that kind of relationship where we continually for the rest of our lives get to choose each other because it feels so good, not because we're so desperate, not because we're afraid to be alone, not because we're lonely, but because it feels so good to be with that other person, that kind of relationship in my mind is much more sustainable. 
Yeah. Does that go against some uh, biological programming, or do you think that's just the culture or a mix between the two? That seems challenging you know, to me to take on that approach. I think I think it's actually far more in alignment with our biological programming. I think one of the reasons why we have to put so much legislation on relationships is because they don't go in alignment with our, our biology. And so we're trying to force something to be something that it isn't. And look, right now we have a 50% divorce rate. That's an F. We're getting an F, obviously. <laughs> we might want to look at making some change. Yeah, yeah, I gotcha. Cool. Well, we've alluded the um practice so far, so I'd love to talk a little bit about what the orgasmic meditation is and describe it for the listeners if you can. Great. So in this scenario, I'm going to use a man and a woman, but it could be a man and a man, it could be a woman and a woman, that, that's up to each person's personal preference, okay? So, but, it, but it makes it easier if I have specific genders. So in this case, um, she would lie down, she would butterfly her legs open, he would sit next, next to her, he would put one leg over her belly and one underneath her legs. He would put lubrication on his thumb, and he would barely, he would rest it at her introitus. Now, the introitus is, if you were going to have intercourse, it's where you would enter. And then he would slide his hand underneath her behind. Then he would put lubrication on his forefinger, and he would begin to stroke her clitoris, and that, the upper left-hand quadrant. And it's her left, and the upper left-hand quadrant is... Um, uh, were her clitoris a clock, it would be the one o'clock position. And he would stroke no more firmly than you would stroke an eyebrow or an eyelid, up, down, up, down, up, down. And what happens from there is amazing. You know, it's, it, it's funny. It's like, it's like um, you know, with breathing meditation, you just focus on your breath, but all of a sudden what happens is you get to go to these other places. It's the same kind of experience where you get to... Uh, go to totally different places from this tiny, tiny stroke. Yes, yeah, so tell us more. So what, what kind of place do we get to go to? What is the kind of the macro view of the experience? That was a pretty um, useful technical uh, description of it. <laughs> but, but what's your kind of broader vision of what it enables us to do or, or the purpose of the practice? Right. Well, I can tell you what happened for me, and, you know, like, I had a career. <laughs> I was a normal person, <laughs> and I had a career, and then, and then I found the practice, and the reason was, you know, this, I, I, I was moving into the Zen Center to become a nun, and I met a guy who introduced me to the practice, and, you know, he said, okay, I'd like to introduce you to this practice. Um, it'll be 15 minutes, you'll take your pants off, I'll leave my clothes on, um, I'll stroke you for 15 minutes. If you want to do it again, you're welcome to. If not, we'll just talk about it, and then you'll go. And for some reason, I don't know, I don't know but he bypassed all of my uh, considerations, and I tried it. And, you know, at first it was like I was in my head the way I always was. You know, when, when I would be in any kind of environment like that, I was like, uh... I shouldn't have eaten. My tummy's poochy. I'm not sure about this guy. He's kind of creepy. I wonder if we'll get married. You know, I was just like lying there and I was just thinking. And I was thinking, oh, I'm doing it wrong. And all I'm supposed to do is lie there. And then all of a sudden it was like this. My brain was such a traffic jam all the time. And all of a sudden what happened was it broke open. And it was like 
was on the open road and it was quiet and I felt, I actually had my first felt sense of connection, like real connection to another human being, to the entire world, to everything. There was not a thought there, just I could just feel. And this window opened up and in that moment, you know, at the top of it, I thought, oh my God, this is what it's supposed to be like. This is what it's supposed to be like all the time. You know, and then that window closed, and then I decided to spend, you know, the rest of my life learning how to live in that place. And so I think what's available is a kind of connection that's unimaginable, that was unimaginable to me before. You know, like I had done so much meditation, and I had had these profound experiences alone, but to have them with another human being completely shift who you are as a human being because so much of who we are is based on this idea that we're separate and and you can tell me we're not separate and I'm like yeah 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 and I'll try to act like we're not separate but until I actually feel it in my bones I don't begin to change and that's what this practice does mm. wow wow so I know in your book Flow Sex you, you talk about the fact that women want sex just as much as men. And, and you said it earlier in the conversation today, it's just they want a different type of sex than men are used to right. having. Um, and you also say that women's orgasms are, are vital, that uh, you know, frequent access to the pleasure of orgasm is the key for women to find joy and nourishment and sustainable happiness. So you spoke a little bit about why that is through the context of your own experience, but can you explain kind of why that is and what does the female orgasm do for a woman and... What does it do for a man? Great. Brilliant. Brilliant. So, um, I, I, you know, I'll, I'll bring it down again to the micro level. I'll bring it down to hormones. And, um, you know, there are two times in a woman's life when she produces oxytocin at a, at a major level. One is when she is in childbirth. The other is when she's in orgasm. And oxytocin mm-hmm. is called the tendon-befriend hormone. So what it is, is it's the, the hormone of connection. When, when we feel oxytocin, oxytocin flooding through our system, we feel a desire to connect deeply. I think that as a culture, we are oxytocin deficit. That desire to co- connect is lacking because we don't have the hormonal drive for it. I think that... Um, you know, if, if a woman is producing oxytocin on a daily basis, her entire being begins to shift. You know, not like there, there's a natural desire to connect. There's a natural desire to reach out and love. There's a feeling of turn on. You know, I, how I think of it is that, that first day of spring, you know, where like everything is easier. You're just lighter on your feet. And, um, and you're just kind of moving through, and the same things that irritate you don't irritate you, and the things that you love, you love more. That's really what oxytocin does for a woman's body. So that's, that's like the basic hormonal level. What I think it does for us as human beings is it actually moves us back into alignment. I think we have a lot of... Um, masculine orgasm, which I love, by the way. It's not, I I love it. I love climax. I love, you know, intense. I think it's beautiful. I I just think we need to have the other half in alignment in order to to be whole, right? So we're accustomed to this more um, intense pumping, um, go for the goal kind of orgasm. But there's this whole other half. 
And I think that when a man gets the opportunity to immerse in that other half, a lot of the stress that he feels to produce, you know, to, I, I, I watch these men and it's heartbreaking to me how much pressure they put on themselves. And to be able to stroke in a way, stroke a woman in a way that gives her unbelievable, deep um, pleasure exactly as she wants it without having to produce a goal, I think that resets a man's confidence. Yeah, well, you just sent chills down my spine because what's, what's coming to mind is that that's a scary thing. Like, on one end, I'm totally... From an intellectual standpoint and a heartfelt standpoint, I'm totally with it, right? Like gender equality, women should have all the same rights that I do, absolutely, completely. And then there's a smaller, more perhaps unevolved part of me that's like, that shit is scary. Like if my woman is totally turned on and she's, you know, and she's able to connect with anybody, then that kind of jeopardizes perhaps the security of our relationship and it, it feeds into a little bit more of what you're saying that relationship could perhaps be based on freedom and not so much on security. But that's um that's some powerful stuff there, yeah. You're a very yeah. smart <laughs> man with a lot of self knowledge. I mean I, what I would say is um yeah, that if you become the man who can produce orgasm in her body better than she could produce it herself, which is ultimately what a woman's looking for in terms of sexuality, most of us just think, oh, we can do it better than anybody else could do it for us. If you're somebody who can do that, then you become invaluable. Hmm. And That's what moves you. Well, I, 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 I think somewhat. I think uh, men and women are deficit in different arenas. And that we're looking for different things. So, I, you know, a few years back I did this New York Times interview. And I just, you know, just offhandedly said, oh, well, you know, uh, men are conditioned to be open sexually and closed uh, emotionally. And women are conditioned to be open emotionally and closed sexually. And that ended up being like the quote that went, you know, across the wires. It went into all these blogs and everything. It was like, oh, well, that's obvious. But I guess, you know, it was just speaking what's actually there. And I think there's a way that men could use a deep emotional nourishment that most women are so, like, we're, we're, like women were like, we're like starving, hungry beasts, right? And we're like just trying to manage our hunger. And there's a way that we can't actually put, um, like, really loving, approving, that's the word, loving and approving attention on a man because we're so busy trying to manage our our own hunger. And that... When, when my hunger gets fed, this amazing thing happens. It's like, it's like ripe fruit on a tree. It just becomes effortless, effortless to be loving with my man. Rather than me trying to be a good woman, it's just like, oh, it's the obvious thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of approving, so what's the deal with, with uh, women faking orgasms? What are the disadvantages for both women and men of faking orgasms? I think the biggest disadvantage is that you set a reinforcement schedule in a in a man that what he's doing is giving you pleasure when it's not. So you're actually having it be that he does that more. It's it's devastating to me, you know, like these five come in and they're like, Oh no, I've been doing this and it makes her scream and he like I, but I think women don't understand how desperately men want to do it right. 
And so if we're faking it and saying that's the right way, we're leading them down a blind alley. We're actually training men to not be good in bed. And so I think it's, you know, as a woman, I know it's my responsibility to stop and educate again and again, rather than just trying to appease his ego to actually be a woman who's willing to take the time and train him to be brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Related question, a little bit off of the direct line of conversation we're on, but what do you think the difference is between uh, male and female sexuality? It's interesting. I think um, fundamentally, I, I like it's like fundamentally, I don't think there is. And then I think there's an overlay, right? And the overlay would be that you know a male sexuality has a lot more drive. It's a lot more outward facing. It's a lot more visual. A woman is much slower. It's more receptive. Um, it's more sensory or feeling, you know. And and then I think the combination of those two. Um, when 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 you have enough saturation in female orgasm and I have enough saturation in male orgasm, you know, that's where everything begins. It's when we have equal skill in in both. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Cool. So, what um I think when I think of sex, right, I think that a lot of it is you know connect, well, scratching an itch, one, right, or connecting with another human being, and, and that's kind of my my view of it, at least from what comes to mind initially, so I'm, I'm curious what else is possible, like, is, is good sex important beyond that, that momentary pleasure, and, and I know we spoke about, a bit about how it is and how um, we walk around in a different state when, when we're kind of lit up and, and turned on, and um, I guess more particularly, a, a question that seems relevant is what's an empowering and, and healthy role for sex to serve in our lives? Well, that's an interesting question. You know, I, so I teach a lot more, so it's interesting, I make a distinction between orgasm and sex. And the reason I do that is that sex is, is often exactly as you described. It's, it's a way to just release energy and kind of get back to the norm. So are you familiar with flow? Flow concepts, like the book. No, I'm not. Uh, so okay, flow so as far as like Mihai Chiksen Mihai, but I don't think that's what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. So like the concept okay. of pleasure versus enjoyment. So pleasure is a return to your to your you're like you're uncomfortable, right? So you like you've worked too hard, you're kind of fried, and you want to return back to your normal state. So you take a bath, or you drink a beer, or you go on vacation, and then you feel like yourself again right? That's pleasure. Then there's enjoyment. And enjoyment is something that actually makes you a more complex human being, right? So like rock climbing. Now, rock climbing isn't necessarily pleasurable, right? It doesn't necessarily feel good. But at the end, um, you, you become more than you were before. And what, what he discovered is that when you have enjoyment experiences, you tend to be happier in a sustainable way. So right now, how we have sex is in the pleasure way. We just have it to kind of get back to normal, to release some tension, to scratch an itch. There is a way that you can go into that domain where you become a more complex human being, where you develop 
much more powerful attention, where your capacity for connection is greater, where your deep level intuitive understanding is better, and, and where you're just nourished and replenished in the way that any kind of um, deep practice from meditation to yoga to rock climbing to playing chess to exports, any of those things that takes you in that place where you're out of time. You know, you're out of the domain of time. And so we don't really have anything like that around sexuality, and that's what OM does, is it gives you a way to become a more complex human being rather than just scratching an itch. Gotcha, yeah, wow. Love it, love it, love it. Um, <laughs> cool, well, we're, I want to honor your time, and we're, we're going to wrap up soon, but I had another question that I, I really wanted to ask, and as you were describing the experience when you first were introduced to this um practice and kind of wondering, okay, well, what does my belly look like? You know, should I have ate that? Or am I going to marry this dude? Like, you know, kind of along those lines. I, I think that our culture instills in, in women this obsession with physical perfection and the need to live up to these, you know, virtually unattainable definitions of what beauty is. And pop culture teaches guys that we should value a woman for her looks more than her brain or her personality or her skill set. And I came across a statistic recently that the diet industry pulls in over $33 billion a year worldwide. And the cosmetics pull in, cosmetic industry pulls in another $20 billion. And it freaks me out because what does it say? It says that, you know, our, our low self-worth is big business and that... There's, there's this cultural obsession with superficial beauty that um, can just put a woman into this, into this spiral, you know, this, this spiral of hope and self-consciousness and leading to perhaps even self-hatred as she tries to fulfill these unattainable definitions of beauty that weren't even defined by her or in a natural way. They were defined by perhaps culture and the corporations that can manipulate and, and control that uh, culture. So I'm, I'm saying a lot here. I'm, I'm, I'm going off, but... I'm curious your your take on how women can start to break that cycle and uh, and kind of redefine beauty and how they can deal with the challenge of living in a culture that operates in this way and how guys can support them in the process of that. Mm. Wow, that's a great question. I think um, in it, I think how do I put this? Like um, deep seated good feeling is the most powerful incentive there is. So, I, I, and I think orgasm is um, that kind of incentive to where um, it becomes more important for me as a woman to feel good than to look good. And then lo and behold, the byproduct is that I end up looking good. It's this really strange thing. And like, you know, makeup is meant to look like a woman in orgasm. So a woman in orgasm has what's called a pregnancy mask, meaning her eyes are dark, her lips swell, they get super red, her cheeks flush, right? So that's blush, eyeliner, and lipstick. And, and there's a glow, right, that, that comes about when, when a woman has a, a bountiful orgasm in her life. So rather than um, pretending to look like you're an orgasm, I think there's a, an experience where you actually begin to live in orgasm, and then, first of all, you get the good feeling and you begin to look that way. I think one of the biggest challenges we face is that we haven't taught men how to feel. 
how to feel deeply. We, you know, it's like a woman doesn't necessarily have her um, access to orgasm, right? Because as you said, I love that. How did you put that? She's a whore or a something. Yeah, there were the well, two H's. <laughs> um, yeah, well, and, and I the, think, the, the, the man is the hero and the woman is the Yeah, woman. right. And I think men have been um, robbed of their ability to actually lie back and feel because they're always having to produce, always having to produce. So I think until we give men permission to feel, um, then, then, the, then what we actually bring to a man, what I bring to a man is deep, good feeling. But if, if what I bring to him, he can't read, then, then what he's going to be reading is my surface, and I'm going to have to make sure my surface looks good all the time. So I think it's going to be that it happens in conjunction. Men are going to begin to feel more, and as a woman, I'm going to give myself permission to feel more pleasure, and when I do, I'm going to look like the, the person I'm always trying to look like. That's incredible. That's, that's so cool. Yeah, I've never thought about it in that sense, that the feeling good um, ultimately leads to the looking good, and so much of what's going on in the cosmetic industry is about you know, trying to make women or having women make themselves look good so that they'll appear to be feeling good. And, and that's, to me, that's a right. really cool distinction to make. So how can guys start to feel more, right? That's one of the challenges that we face. So what can we do? Like, how can we embrace these so-called feelings that you speak of? Yeah, I, I you know, it's funny. It's like... You're at a threshold and I'm at a threshold, right? And both of us, it's, it's just this deep personal decision like, you know what, I refuse to be part, uh, a partial human being. So I refuse to be a partial human being in that, you know, I'm going to have my orgasm. And as a man, you know, I, you have to make that decision. I'm, I, I am going to be whole and I'm going to learn how to do this thing that most men aren't trained to do and that is feel deeply. You know, and like mm. a man, it's like, wow, there's as much stigma for a man learning to feel as there is for a woman learning to orgasm, right? Like you get called like a new age sensitive guy or, you know, there's all of these negative stereotypes for a man who's beginning to feel. And so it's it's being willing to face that and confront that and being clear that you 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 want the whole deal as a human and you're going to have it. Yeah, and and the irony being that taking on that approach of being willing to feel and being willing to feel publicly is an act of courage, which I think is right. traditionally how we stereotype masculinity anyway, is by being courageous well, yeah. or, uh and so on. So Nicole, uh, I've been looking forward to this chat for a long time, and I'm uh, thrilled with the way it went. So I just want to thank you for your time and all the wisdom and, and work that you do on these subjects and for sharing mm. it with us today. So thank you. Mm. Yeah, thank you. It's great conversation. Awesome, cool. Well, if people want to learn more about what you're up to and, and dig into your wisdom and your practices, how can they do that? The best way is to go on the site, onetaste.us. And there's everything you need there. There's everything from, uh, from uh, there's a free video you can download to access to the Ohm Hub on Facebook where there's a whole community of people who do the practice. Okay, awesome. Very cool. Well, thanks again, Nicole. Great. Great talking to you. So let's take a look at some of my favorite big ideas from this interview. Big idea number one, we want to go from acting to feeling. What we call orgasm barely scratches the surface. What's available is so much deeper than anything we can imagine. Allow yourself to nourish your body. Stop acting and start feeling. It's okay to feel. 
Ladies, it's not that a man wants to see you, it's that he wants to feel you. Big idea number two is producing experience. Guys, our roles in society are changing, and as a gender, we're having an identity crisis. It can seem like women don't need us, but pay attention. There's no way a woman can emerge deep into her sexuality without a partner because she can't bring herself out of control. So for us, it's not so much about providing money, now it's more about producing experience. Big idea number three is freedom over security. We all come back to the place where we experience freedom. If we ground our relationships in freedom instead of security, then we can be with each other by choice instead of obligation or need. Soul Sibling, thank you so much for rocking with us. I appreciate you, and I appreciate that you're using your time and your energy toward making yourself a better person and the world a better place. So if you'd like to keep in touch, I'd love it if you subscribe to the podcast, and I'm excited to deepen our relationship, to get to know each other better over time, and to see how I can help you solve meaningful challenges and create your most fulfilled life. We've got a great community over here, and we run retreats all over the world. We've got people who connect with each other and support each other in living the most fulfilled life. And what I'd suggest for your next step is to grab a copy of The 12 Things Happy People Do Differently. It's a scientific-based approach to happiness, and there's a lot of great wisdom out there, but this in particular is researched back from some of the world's leading positive psychologists in the world, and it's super grounded, super practical, how you could do these 12 things that happy people do differently and rock it. The article's been shared over 100,000 times on Facebook, and there's some magic in there. So in order to grab a copy of that, you can go to thankyoujacob.com. Sounds simple, and it is. Thankyoujacob.com, and uh, grab that immediately, and I will keep in touch through personal emails that I send out a couple times a month and all that goodness. So for now, sending you lots of love. Keep it real. Follow your heart, but bring your head. Peace.